guys. We're doing it. We're here. Welcome to another episode of Laugh and Be Blessed with your host, Jake Rubel. feel like I should apologize. We've missed, <laughs> we've missed a couple weeks. It's been crazy in a good way, but that's just kind of the way life goes sometimes. Uh, I thought that I had all the audio ready from this Ricky Glore uh, interview that I did a couple weeks ago. That was my whole idea, is that me and Chia went on vacation, went to Memphis, Tennessee, and I was like, well, while we're on vacation, <clears throat> I will just put out the Ricky Glore episode and everything's going to be fine. Well, unfortunately, the audio was not matching up. I've been working on it for weeks. I'm not an engineer. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm proud of what I did. I finally figured it out. Let's see how good it sounds. But honestly, regardless of however it sounds, you guys are going to really, really like this interview. Ricky Glore is a fantastic human being. He's a wonderful comic. I really enjoyed talking with him. I learned a lot from him. Hopefully, you guys will too. And hopefully, you'll kind of like this whole interview process. Um, Let me know what your thoughts are on it, though. Honestly, I really do need some feedback here because this is a completely different... completely different you know style than what we usually do so if you guys are like no that's cool do those every now and then i'll keep doing them but if you're like hey we don't you know we don't really care about any of that we just want you and chi to make fun of each other that's fine too you just let me know what you want um although chi is still going to be here she's not here right now because somebody's got to pay the bills um speaking of paying the bills if you guys want to help out i would greatly appreciate it let me tell you a couple ways you could do it number one like and subscribe that's the best way it really helps us out if you like subscribe and most importantly leave a review if you leave us a review it lets other people know that we're an actual there's so many podcasts out there just lets people know hey listen to this one so if you could do that for us if you want to go a step further than that share it with some people on social media that's great too you can use the hashtag indiana ruble whenever you do that that's r-u-b-l-e uh speaking of which you can find me on all social media as indiana ruble um you guys hear those crickets in the background there's literally crickets in my studio right now So uh, I try to find them, can't find them. There's nothing I can do about it. And this is just an intro anyways before we get into the interview. So crickets it is. Uh, Not something that you want to hear, though, whenever you're trying to entertain someone. I literally hear crickets. Like I'm literally trying to say stuff and there's crickets going on. Another thing that you guys can do to help out is if you go to patreon.com slash laugh and be blessed, become a member there. Help us out. Just throw a couple bucks our way. It, you know, it just helps. You don't have to. This is free. You don't have to do it. I'm going to still do this. So um, that's what's going on there. If you guys want to help out Uh, real quick, a couple show announcements that are coming up. I know I said on the 30th I was going to be in Louisville, but uh, Louisville's got a lot of stuff going on at the moment, and the show had to be pushed back. I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to be back because they were trying to push it back a week, but unfortunately I'm going to be out of town then for another show, so I can't do it. So um, I'm holding off on Louisville. I'll let you guys know whenever that pops back up. Um, However, on October 6th, I'm actually going to be in West Virginia. So October 6th, I'm going to be in West Virginia. I am going to to be at Ohio, 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 
Ohio Valley University. I'm going to be at Ohio Valley University for their Fall Fest. So that is the 6th of October. I will be there. It starts at 4 p.m. Um, I don't know exactly when I'm going uh, up. Uh, I'm there with my good friend Haas Ridgeway. So we're going to be doing that. Um, so if you're, you know, I know it says Ohio Valley, but it's in West Virginia. So, um, you know, come, come see me and my buddy there. Uh, so I will be there October 6th and then the 9th. Uh, I'm sorry, the 10th, October 10th, I will be at the Fort Wayne Comedy Club, which they're currently, because of COVID restrictions, they're moving the shows around, so they're not actually in the club. They're at the Holiday Inn. So I'm going to be doing a show at the Holiday Inn for the Fort Wayne Comedy Club in Fort Wayne with uh, my buddy Andy Beningo. So I'm very excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then on the 16th and 17th, so October 16th and 17th, I'll be back at Gutty's Comedy Club. Club, and I will be featuring for um, Ricky Glore. It's a good possibility I'm going to be doing just a guest spot, which is a little bit shorter time, but it, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. But I'm going to be there with Ricky. Um, so if you like what you hear on the podcast, go see him and support him and support Gutties, support live comedy. It's very difficult right now for us to do things. So 16th and 17th, Gutties Comedy Club in Greenwood, Indiana, and then the 23rd and 24th, I'm going to be back at Gutties Comedy Club featuring for the legend that is Dusty Slay. So we've got uh, the amazing Ricky Glore, the 16th and 7th, the amazing Dusty Slay. Guys, that's two, I mean, hard-hitting shows back-to-back. I'm going to be with Ricky Glore, which after this episode, you guys are going to be like, oh my gosh, that guy's amazing. I want to hear him. Go to Gutty's. He's low. He's going to be in Indiana. He's going to be a, you're, it's going to be a good time. Follow him on social media and see all of his shows, wherever he's going to be, find him and go wherever you're at. See when he's going to be close. Check out his dry bar comedy special. I'm a big Ricky Glore fan. And I think you're going to be too after this. So 16th and 17th, Ricky Glore and me at Gutty's comedy club, 23rd and 24th, Dusty Slay and me Gutty's comedy club. So those are the shows that I've got going on through October. Um, it's a good time. I'm excited. I'm very excited about what's going on with it. Um, want to update you guys. I just currently won the uh, with two of my friends, Griffin Shira and Haas Ridgeway. We had a team, and we won the Comedy Wars at Gutty's Comedy Club. So uh, thank you, Gutty's, for doing that. Any comedians who might be listening to this, Get hooked up with Gutties. They're really taking care of us right now. That was an awesome, awesome competition. I'm very proud that we won it. Um, it was. There's a couple times I wasn't really sure how it was going to go, but it was a good time. I'm very excited. So um, I'm always excited when I talk to you guys. Uh, it's been a while, you know. It's been a couple weeks. Stuff happened. Uh, we were going to record an episode the other day, but Chia has a horrible infection in her tooth. And uh, it's not fun for her to talk. And it's also not fun for me to watch her try to talk. It's gross. It's a it's a swollen face, and it's very gross to, to just sit across the table and look at. So, um, And she's my wife, and I think she's the most beautiful woman who's ever lived. And it's still gross to look at. So you don't want to hear it because it's 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 a, it's a thing. You just, you know, there, there it is. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. So... That's what we got going on. I'm going to go ahead and get this interview started. So uh, thank you guys for everything you're doing. Please continue to support us. Find us on Facebook at Jake Herbal's Blessed Ones. Tell us if you like what you heard this time. Let us know. Just say, hey, man, that was great. 
or hey maybe next time just just you and chia or maybe next time just chia or maybe next time just roman i get it you know i get it and if you don't know who roman is you should go back and listen to some of the previous podcasts so uh thank you guys for everything that you do i love you very much i'm very very much looking forward to uh seeing you at one of those shows that's coming up I love doing what I do, and I'm able to do it because of you. So thank you very much. I love you guys. Without further ado, please help me welcome to the show Ricky Glore. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ricky. Do you go by Ricky? I mean, Rick, Richard. Ricky, uh, I'm not a Richard. I'm actually on my birth certificate, Ricky William Glore Jr., named after my dad, who's also not a Richard. But my dad, my whole life, has gone by Rick. And, like, my brothers are half-brothers, so my dad is their stepdad, and Rick sounds like the most stepdad name. Unless (laughs) I were to become someone's step-parent, I think I will probably remain a Ricky and I'm okay with it. I don't have any hangups of like, Oh, it sounds juvenile or like a kid. Like it's kind of the only thing I know. It's weird when I hear someone try to like Rick proper me. Mm, yeah. Well, my, you're the only, so you're the second person I know that their birth certificate says Ricky on it. Cause that's my mom's boyfriend. He's a Ricky. That's his name. So it's uh, my mom's boyfriend. He's going to be a Rick. When he puts that ring, yeah, he's gonna be. You're gonna have to call him Stepdad Rick. Yeah, you're you're no longer Ricky to me, sir. Sir, man. We. What's funny is we all call him Junior because he's he's also a junior. You know, his he's got the same name as Dad, so everybody just calls him. I think if my dad were to have had more family or more involved with uh, extended family, like they weren't. I didn't really know any, anybody from my dad's side of his family. My mom has like eight brothers and sisters. So holidays and stuff always with them, but I could see maybe being a junior or like Burt Reynolds. Uh, his first name is Burton, which was his dad's name. Who was like local sheriff. And so they called him buddy. Like, so they came up with another mm-hmm. name for him. Like I could see me having a nickname. Weirdly, all the sports I played football, baseball, wrestling, I've never had a nickname, and you would think Glore rhymes with enough things. You know, right. There's like Pussy yeah. Glore from James Bond, and there's other some more mm-hmm. derogatory things that with like all male football and testosterone and stuff. You would have thought something would have stuck. Nothing ever did. So I maybe I'm I just don't come off like a nickname person. No, that makes sense because my like growing up with my dad, my dad's Tim mm-hmm. and my name's Jake, so my dad just would never call me at all. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> No man, I appreciate you doing this. I know you're doing uh you got a tour going on right now, right? The spitting image tour? Uh, a spitting image tour which rolled over from last year. I mm. just figured since I had my album come out in June, which, you know, is like the most opportune time to have an album come out when you've had all of your shows canceled <laughs> and no live shows to promote it. Um, I'm not bitter about it. I'm happy it came out. It came out great. Uh, I'm starting to pick up some live shows again, but really here and there, I know you were going to feature for me at the 
Gutty's Comedy Club in March. That was my first canceled weekend. And that oh, was the okay. first sign for me because that was what the second weekend of March or first weekend of March. So, yeah. yeah. Something it, around was, it was definitely the beginning. I think it was like 14th or something. But that week leading up, I the the rumblings of like, oh, I think things are going to shut down. I think things are a little bit more serious than people initially thought. And when I got the call from the club owners, they're like, we have to. They're shutting us down. I, that was, mm-hmm. I think it, uh, it wasn't nice because that was the beginning of what we're in now. But it was nice to not live in kind of a delusion of what the repercussions of certain things of a pandemic were. Like when that happened, I was like, oh, this is serious. Like, okay, so this is now affected me. And now I have to snap and start making decisions on how I am going to react to this via all of my live bookings, which... I had already had a California trip booked in August where I was going to be doing uh, a show in LA where I had done a show last year on sunset strip, two shows in San Diego and a show in San Francisco. And so I just looked out for the next four months and was like, these are all probably going to be canceled. So it was kind of nice to know that that was coming but it also was really hard because I also do, I had my dry bar coming out and I had my album coming out. I had things that I definitely wanted to capitalize on and use the momentum of as well as creatively using the dry bar and the album is pushes to start working on new material with touring so much right now. I've did, I've done two shows in the last two weeks, both at wineries, both were sold out and both, um, the audiences are very hungry and they were done very well and safe and they were a lot of fun. Um, I now have this next week, I have three drive-in shows in a week and I've not done a drive-in show yet. All people can do is honk their horns unless they're sitting outside their car and bag chairs. So it's got to be better than a zoom show, but I'm going in with, a low bar set of expectations. So I don't go in like, Oh, if there's a hundred cars, that means there's how many people here? Like that's a huge crowd. And then not hearing anything Mm -hmm. could be a little bit of a soul suck. But I think the guys that I, I usually tour with, um, regularly who are opening for me, I think we're going to have a good time regardless. So I'm just going into it with the best kind of attitude and, I've started working on new stuff these last two shows, which I'm, I'm really happy with. It's just in my mind in March, I would have had a new hour right now. And I maybe have a new 20 minutes that's filtered throughout my old hour. Yeah. Uh, see, you're definitely, I like hearing this because you're in a way different situation than I am, of course, because I'm just getting started. I actually just kind of went, I quit my day job in October, which this is the best time in comedy to quit your day job <laughs> and just go full force. Uh, <laughs> I'm really lucky, though, because my wife's got a great job, and that was, you know, I I worked very hard to put her through nursing school, and then once she got her degree, it was like, okay, well, I'm doing my dream. You go do your dream. That's awesome. So I was able to quit my day job, and, and, uh, and I still drive Uber. 
so it's not like I'm unemployed. I'm just fancy unemployed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, because so. you can't correct me if I'm wrong. You can't file for unemployment with Uber. You can actually. Yeah. I didn't think I'd be able to, but yeah, I was, luckily I was able to, it's not much of course, but I mean, every little bit has helped because with my wife being a nurse at the hospital, I can't drive Uber right now because we can't take the risk of her being in a patient's room, getting me sick, me not knowing it, you know, picking up a passenger, then them getting sick or a passenger getting me sick and getting her sick and taking the, it's just, I got to pretty much stay home. You know, I can't really risk that exposure. So it's, I mean, it's hard with doing the, with the shows I've done and the shows I will be doing of, you know, we have a 15 month old who, you know, my wife is back at work. She works for a school, but in Kentucky, they're doing virtual where we're at Northern Kentucky. And so she's not having any direct contact with those kids, but because we need childcare, we had removed our daughter from the um, babysitter we had found who was also watching a couple other kids, but that's when you start, we're veering away from comedy, but that's when you start having to make decisions on how you have to live and how you have to function and you know, the Mm -hmm. risks you're taking. And so our daughter is with a woman who we trust, who is very clean and stuff, but also watches two other kids. We've expanded that family, that tree, you know, of possibilities of risk. And with me doing shows, that's the one thing that I've really felt good about these two outdoor shows is they've done them so well. They've been so mindful. The audiences, there's not been anybody who's been blase or, or maybe I don't know, maybe they've been with people who wouldn't allow it. There's been no like deniers. There's been no like in your face. I'm not going to do what I need to do to be enjoying this entertainment right now, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, the only I got super lucky that uh, I was invited to do Bloomington Comedy Attic. They had their summer competition, and I was invited to do that. So that meant that I had at least two mics I was able to do pretty much all summer. That's all. So um, you know they were closed for a while. So I had a couple months off like everybody else, where I couldn't do anything, um, and then which was fine with me because you know I just hung out with my kids and kind of started a little bit of a farm at our house and just got like mentally fine. Mm. And then, uh, which is not good for comedy. We don't want to be like mentally competent <laughs> for comedy. You know, we want to be out there. So I don't know why I did that. Uh, but you know, doing the comedy addict, the competition there I could do, it was Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I was able to go up and I made it to the semifinals, which meant that I kept going all the way up until almost the end. And then at the end of the semifinals, I had like two or three different places contact me and say, Hey, you know, would you want to come close this show out? Or, you know, I featured for Andy Beningo, just kind of throwing things out. So I've definitely been lucky to where I can do stuff like that. And then places like the comedy addict are at 50% capacity. Mm-hmm. Everybody wears a mask, taking temperatures at the door. Um, you know, just making sure that everything's as, as clean as possible. And then gutties, you know, they're the same way. Everybody's wearing masks until you get to your seat and, um, you know, 50% capacity. So it's, I same boat. It's just nice to, to be able to go into a place and still do what I want to do without worrying about bringing anything home to my kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, everybody's, everybody's talking about that. We don't want to talk about that. That's what everybody's <laughs> talking about. But it's life. It's hard. You know, it's I mean, life. I was just thinking today, like 
let's say um, generously in a hypothetical that this time next year it is managed and it has become what we kind of understand to be like the flu. Like people still get sick, people people still die, but we have a vaccine, like best possible situation for this time next year. You know there's going to be movie on top of movie of biographies and real stories that I started thinking, I'm like, man, even if those movies are good, even if it's like an all-star cast of like Robert Downey Jr., Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, like I I probably don't want to watch those movies like because I like escapism and in my historical films, I like there to be a little bit of room of separation. And I just feel like how quickly you can make things nowadays. Uh, there'll be a movie about this. Oh no, th- absolutely. Uh, it, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about my kids growing up in this because to them, you know, my youngest is seven so to him, you know, he wears his mask at school. They're in school. They actually go to school here in Indiana where I'm at. So they're not doing virtual. They're in class wearing masks. And, you know, they're just used to it. They get out of school. They're wearing their mask. Most people you see go outside. They immediately rip their mask off. They're, they're ready to, to relax or whatever. It's uh, Now I know what my wife feels like whenever she comes home and takes her bra off. So I'm like, okay, now I get it, you know? <laughs> oh, are, but, you, are you working bits? Are you working bits now? Is Are we in that no, part of I the should. show? No, but I should. No, that's a, <laughs> as far as pandemic jokes go, that is a good one. I just, I'm sure I'm not I the only one that's boss. throwing that out there. I'm sure I'm, uh, that's got to – someone else has got to have already used that. And also whenever – I, I try my best at a show. I don't talk about it. I yeah, just I don't I don't bring it up I don't because in my mind if I'm going to, like I just went and seen Brian Regan a couple weeks ago yeah and he brought it up at the very beginning he he'd mentioned yeah. something about it addresses the elephant in the room yeah yep and that's it and that's I don't even at this point I mean I'm not even really doing that I just kind of go out there and I just because I feel like it, like with the the competition seventy five percent of the comics were talking about it and so, I get I mean, it. That's, that's an interesting, like, you are definitely having a clarity that you say about being a, a young comic. Um, I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus, but I think your clarity is wisdom beyond your years in comedy because I've been doing it since 2005 and I still fall into the pitfalls of a lot of young comic things with, I think that being one of them was, I can't even imagine open mics right now where that's all comics are talking about is their angle on the pandemic or political of what's going on where it's the same as if you go to an open mic, if it weren't in the pandemic where you have, here's a, for example, at go bananas in Cincinnati. One of the first times when I came back from Chicago, there were, uh, there's always like 16 guys on the show, 16 people. And like two of them are females. There were five guys in a row who all talked about masturbating. Then uh, the guy who was closing out the show, Gabe Kia, who's a fantastic comic, um, he came up and his opening joke was, well, you know, I usually don't do my jokes about masturbation if there's been six people before me who've talked about it. But since there was only five and then <laughs> yeah, I, like just did it that. But like, that's the thing is like, that's a young comic thing is not necessarily that it's low hanging fruit, but we talk about what our experiences are as young comics. But I think as Seinfeld said, I think you are the age 
the the amount of years you've been doing stand up is how old you are when you're doing it. So if you've been doing it three years, you think of humor like a three year old, like it's slapstick, it's silly, and blah blah blah. So yeah, I think like a lot of the things I talk about now in stand up that are personal about my family and how I grew up. I clearly knew and recognized those things when I was first doing stand up in 2005, but because I was so young in stand up, I didn't have the clarity or the know-it-all to examine that and mind that for the humor that was already there. It took me some years of observation and looking back on it to be like, Oh, there is truth in comedy there. And that is one of the best ways to connect with an audience. So unless I like, Yes, I talk about my wife, and there's plenty of comedians who do that. I try to make sure that what I'm talking about is specific to me. So, like, I talk about my dad. I've already mentioned Burt Reynolds. He loves Burt Reynolds. We went to the Burt Reynolds Museum and Ranch three times as a family vacation growing up. And on the third time, it was closed. And he had my brother and I be his lookout guys while he took a money clip and defaced the property to get a gold plaque Burt Reynolds face from the gate. <laughs> like, so I have like this eight minute Burt Reynolds story about my family and about my dad that I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is unique there. Yeah. Like I don't have to worry in Google and be like, Are, is there anyone else telling a Burt Reynolds museum and ranch story? But to go with that, with the pandemic, uh, our first show back, and this is a, an amazing com- comedian, Zach Wyckoff. He's one of the funniest person in Cincinnati two years in a row. He is uh, very smart, very relaxed on stage, very much himself. He has found his voice very well, even if he doesn't know it. Um, he's a Christian c- comedian, so he's clean. But his it was the first time he had been on stage in a while, and his first five minutes were what he thought was connecting with the audience to discuss the situation we're in. And me and Billy DeVore, who was my feature, were standing back in the audience. We were able to see that people were like, oh, we don't want to hear about this. Like, this is why we're here. Like, talk about anything else. Yeah. That for the life we're now escaping. No, I think that's a really good point. That's kind of why I made the decision too. Whenever I go on stage, I don't, I don't want to talk about it, you know, because I feel like we're we're all trying to escape. We're all, you know, we know what's going on. And actually, the first, my one of my first time, actually my first time going to the comedy attic. I did their open mic and I recorded it. Um, I'd only been doing comedy for like six months, uh, which I've not been doing comedy for a long time now either. But I'd been doing comedy for about six months. I recorded my set. And I talked to Dusty Slay and asked him if he would, you know, give me some pointers, check it out, and, and let me know. And I had a joke in the very beginning because this is how I always look. And um, <laughs> I live in Bloomington. Like Jerry is, Garcia reincarnated. Yeah, yeah. And I live in, in Bloomington, which is a very liberal town. And I'm not political at all. I mean, I just don't fall on either side of it typically. But my joke was is that people are always asking me how can I live in Bloomington because it's so liberal because I obviously look very conservative. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was that was it was just to throw it out there to kind of say, hey, I know what I look like. Let's move past it. Let's talk. Yeah. And um, Dusty said, you know, it was a good set. He said, lose the political stuff in the beginning. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, that's not even political. 
But I started thinking about it, and it's like the moment you say liberal or conservative, people uh-huh. automatically think you're going to go political and will tune you out. It doesn't matter if you, you're not. It doesn't matter if you don't go one way or another unless you specifically have something set up to you know di- divert their attention. The moment that I said, you know, I look conservative or I'm liberal um, or I look liberal or, or anything like that, they just hear those words and they're almost like trigger words for people where they're just like, oh, what? no, I don't want to hear this. So that was some of the best advice I had early on was just don't and, – and ultimately what he was saying was do not alienate a single person in the audience if you can help it. Right. And, um, which was – I mean I felt great about that because I don't want to. My – I'm the same way, you know. I've watched, um, I watched some of your dry bar, and and, and I, I like what I see. It's funny. I was excited to feature for you. I, I'm glad that in October, and then we took it away. Yeah, hopefully we can still do it in October. Um, but you know the the well, thing well, that you do is yeah. Well, no, what you were gonna say is I was gonna for the Zach at the first show we did back. He talks about being Christian and it kind of fell flat when I've seen, like I've seen him a million other times and it kills because he's not making fun of religion. Like he is a, he is a 25 year old virgin who is a devout Christian and just talks about how he is Christian in a funny way. But there were definitely people there who were like, Oh, are you going to make fun of religion? Like, yeah. Yeah. Buttholes clinch. Yep. I mean, for the same reason. Now talk about me, what you were, whatever you were going to say about me. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, that's, you know, I went, uh, just recently I had a message from featuring over the weekend. I, somebody messaged me after the show and said, um, you know, they're, they've been wanting to see me. They were very happy. They got to finally see me. And he said, just so you know, you made me laugh and you made my mom laugh. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was just like that. I did it. You know, I, that's what I, my goal is. I want you to be able to go to a show with your grandpa and both of you find something funny in what I say, because, you know, like I, I try to just talk personal stuff that hopefully people can relate to. Um, but it's personal it, to me. Like, go ahead. It's a hard, it's a hard, no, it's a hard beast because there are definitely comedy snobs and for me, how I look at it is we're entertainers. Like, and this is, and this works for me. I like political humor. I like political standups. I don't feel that I am the best vessel to, to do that. I mean, you know, what happened with Gaffigan this past weekend, if, if you're surprised or upset by what you, by what he said, and that cuts you off from entertaining the humor he has crafted, he didn't, trick you into enjoying and making you laugh at what he has said in the past or what he says in his comedy. He's also a human being. Mm-hmm. Now, if he starts infusing that in his standup, that's when you can start. Well, I mean, you can start making a choice whenever, but that's when you can start making choices. If you go to see standup and you know, it starts being flavored with that. That's when you go, okay, you know what? Mentioning this and how he feels makes me not enjoy this. So I will disconnect from this new standup or this new approach that he has, but to get butt hurt and just to be like, well, I'm going to destroy everything of yours, every DVD I own, every album, like it's bonkers. It's the same thing of the Beatles. I mean, there's many stories, examples like this, but the Beatles in the sixties, when John Lennon said that they were bigger than God or they're bigger than Jesus. Like, and they started trying to burn Beatles albums. Like, yeah, 
yeah. But again, I'm someone who can separate art from the artist. And I also don't have a delusion that artists aren't people. But as comedians, because you have an example of someone saying to you, I enjoyed you and my mom enjoyed you. I think there are some stand-ups who are like, oh, you pandered. Like, you made sure, like, no, everyone enjoyed it. But what I hear is you're, you achieved the goal that you wanted to set out because you at your heart are an entertainer and you want to use what you think is funny in the most entertaining possible way to make as many people laugh as they can because that's your goal as the entertainer. And a lot of stand-ups go up on stage and say, let me show you how funny I am and how smart I am. And no, I, I, that's right. I mean, I think what it comes down to my, my big, my goal, whenever I, I was a preacher previously. So before I, I was doing stand up, I was a preacher. So as a preacher, my goal was I'd get up in front of a congregation and try to bring them together. I tried to create unity somehow. And it's no different now. I feel like whenever I go into a room, especially now with everything going on in the world, you know, I want to go in there and I want to create unity for a little bit. And that unity is, is, you know, laughter. Let's all just have fun. And you know what I was saying earlier about your standup, you talk about, you know, uh, being a dad, you talk about, uh, you know, your wife, like you were saying, you talk about these personal things, you and your, your relationship with your dad. And that's the kind of stuff that I try to do. Um, mostly because people don't expect it from me. I walk up on stage and they expect that I'm going to talk about drugs and I'm going to talk about, you know, all this stuff that I don't, I'm sober. I've been sober for 14 years. I don't have, you know, my drug jokes are the fact that people try to buy weed off of me and I, I'm sober. <laughs> and, um, you know, the fact that I can get up and I can, I can tell stories about, trying to be a dad, trying to figure this thing out. I have three kids and I'm trying to figure out how to be a good dad. And it's hard because my dad was horrible, you know, not, not, I say horrible, but that's because he was just a party animal. My dad was a biker. So trying to figure out how to go from being raised by a biker to actually instilling morals into my kids and making sure that they, they make it in this life. That's the that's what I see as as comical. That's you know the stuff that my kids say to me, or the fact that you know my wife is a nurse and I'm a comedian, so obviously she pays the bills and I get to have all the fun. You know that's funny to me, so I'm going to talk about it. And yeah, uh, and it's, it's I I think I think yeah I think Dusty gave you definitely a good suggestion, but where you were you were right on the money to go for that opening icebreaker thing of, like you said, Reagan, Reagan uh, addressing the pandemic, like addressing the elephant in the room. That's the classic thing of the standup. And it seems hokey and overdone now to go up there and make your first thing a, um, a self-reflection mm-hmm. or be like, I know, I know what I look like to you. I look like Seth Rogen, blah, blah, like, but there it you do that because that's the best way to connect and start making your mind simpatico and relatable with the audience is yeah. like that joke that you told again dusty i think gave you the great like that would have been something you might have never thought about and it might have closed some people off and you're like i don't know why because it isn't super political but what you did was you pivoted and you started telling other versions of that. I'm the guy people try to buy weed from. I like, right. I know what I look like. And like, I think it's funny. I don't know if you have anything about it, but you, like you said that your dad was a horrible dad, which to me sounds like he wasn't a, a good father. 
he right. was your dad, but he wasn't exactly fatherly because he was a partier where it's funny because like, look at you in a self-deprecating way could be like, people see me with my kids and they think, Oh no, that hippie's trying to sell drugs to those kids. <laughs> right, like, exactly, there's just yeah. where like you, you reflect on your dad, like, and you're like, yeah. And it's hard because like, I look like what my dad embodied, but I, you know, am the exact opposite. Yeah, I think that's a terrific way to definitely connect with an audience and be true to yourself while also entertaining. Yeah, um, I'm glad you actually said that whole th the the thing about starting off with saying I I look like because you always hear never start your jokes with I look like, you know. Um, and I I, mean, I do the reason that, why people do it. Yeah, well, and I feel right like and true. I do clean comedy, not on purpose. It just comes out like that. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it that way. I'm glad that that's the way it works because, you know, I feel like there's more opportunities if, if you go that route. So I'm happy with it. But, you know, like at Gutty's Comedy Club this week and whenever I went out on stage, they're at a clean comedy club and then I walk out on stage. <laughs> and and I, so, you know, I went out there and I said, well, I, I feel like we should probably address the elephant in the room. You guys came to a clean comedy club and the talentless Almond brother came out on stage. I get it. <laughs> you know? And then, and then anyone who's, who's, you know, came to any show, my, probably the joke that I, I use a lot in the beginning, one of my biggest intros because I look like this, is that a true story about after a show one time, this guy came up to me and he said, hey, man, you look like Vietnam Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I have this whole story about that, but it's hard for me not to open up with that kind of stuff because it's like I want to get on the same level. My, I want a good hang whenever I'm there. I want, mm -hmm. I want to feel like whenever I'm done, I want people to feel like, oh, man, we know him. Like We just hung out with that guy. And me going out, if I never addressed the fact that I, I – I look like reincarnated Jerry Garcia, you know, <laughs> uh, then it's going to, the people would sit there the whole time and probably be like, is he going to say anything about the, cause he look, he, he's talking about his kids. Look what he looks like. What's it, you know? Yeah. So if it's like, if I just get it out of the way in the beginning and say, Hey, I get it. I look, you know, like I'm trying to embody homeless chic, but that's fine. We'll move past it and we're going <laughs> to, you know, we're going to have fun. So, um, well, and also I mean, comics, the two of the biggest struggles I think, well, I mean, three first one being finding your voice, like finding the voice. I think that is the endless comic struggle because you grow as a person and you change as a person, the climate changes as a person. So if you're being a good working comedian, you don't have to pander to the climate and the socioeconomic and political climate of what's going on or politically correctness, political correctness. But like you, you you do have to understand the temperature of things and the gravitas of what you say. The other things I think that are hard are always trying to think of what your perfect opener icebreaker is and what mm -hmm. your perfect closer is. So that's why the, I know what you're thinking. I look like blank, blanked a blank. That there's a reason why that happens is because that alleviates the stress and it does what it needs to do with you and the audience. Like I do later in my act, because um, I'm not much of a drinker, definitely not a beer drinker. And I do a lot of brewery shows and people always think that I look like someone that would like a beer. Like I have the body that's shaped like a beer keg. Like I must really want a beer and talk about beer 
after the show and when people are like, Hey man, I'm going to buy you a beer. What can I, what kind is your favorite? I'm like, uh, wet. Like I don't like when I'm in a winery, I'll, I'll drink wine all day, but like beer, I know nothing about, but like it's again, I just think it's the easiest magic trick you can pull is to get inside someone's head and it will make them laugh because they'll be like, Oh, he knows what I was thinking. And it just like, releases the tension in the air because most people go to a comedy show and they want to laugh and have a good time. But I still think there is that inherent feeling of, because anyone technically can go up on stage and a mic and do comedy. I think there is that tension at the beginning of, Oh, I hope this guy doesn't suck. <laughs> and like, when you do that, it alleviates it. It's like, okay, we're going to have a good time. And then they are maybe more, susceptible to maybe things that aren't like the funniest, but they just feel comfortable with you. And then it starts feeling conversational. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm glad we had this talk because sometimes I think about that because, and I've even had people say, you know, well, don't, don't do the I look like thing. And I've even heard people say, you know, if you submit videos to clubs and if you start a joke with, I look like this, they won't even listen to the rest of it. And I'm like, well, I get that, but at the same time, I think there's a way of doing it without doing it and still getting your point across. You know, like for me, I don't go out there and I'm like, I get it, guys. I look like Vietnam Jesus. You know, I don't say that. I say, you know, after a show one time, this guy came up to me and said, hey, man, you look like Vietnam Jesus. And then I can go into mm -hmm. the whole story. So then people laugh and, and hopefully they laugh and then we can, you know, connect on that. And there's so many, there's so many, uh, rules and unspoken rules of comedy. And then it's like, well, you can break those rules if you've been doing it a real long time. And like all rules you can break. If you've reached the status of having a following where someone bought a ticket because your name's on the ticket, that's when your opinions of certain things of like politics or who you are, I think is definitely an easier time to start really getting into the psyche of who you are. If that is something in your comedy that you, you want to do, you have a lot more carte blanche to try things and fail. If like they're going to see Chris rock, like a, a bad Chris rock joke, people are going to be like, Oh, that was still a really funny Chris rock. Like they're just swept up into it. But then right. again, like, Seinfeld tells, tells the thing on comedian where he's like, I I can go on stage and get, uh, get a leeway, get a little bit of leeway for the first five minutes because of who I am. He's like, but after that, he's like, it's like if Jack Nicholson went on stage in a stand-up club, people be like, yeah, it's Jack Nicholson. But if after five minutes, Jack wasn't be, being funny, it'd be like, get off the stage, Jack. This is a yeah. comedy club. No, I, I think that's true. I, I definitely do. I mean, I've, I, uh, I think that it's something to where as long if we don't continually, I mean, I see people, and again, I've not been doing comedy that long, but I've already seen people who are just constantly doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, which I get. We have to to a certain extent in order to get our set down, and mm -hmm. I understand that. But I mean, if we're in an open mic. You know, and it's the yeah. it's the third open mic of oh. the week that we've all been to, and you're doing the exact same set. If you're like, well, if you're if you change that, it, you it's better fine. have a tape. You better be recording a tape to send to Conan or something. 
if you're doing that <clears throat> or you have an audition that you're going to be doing that set and you're just trying to get it as tight as possible in front of as many different kind of audiences. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. People within the scene around me here, they do open mics and they either do the same five minutes for the past three years and they don't leave the city either. And that's, mm -hmm. I'm like, get in front of different audiences. Like, see how well that plays between the four quadrants of the United States. You know, there's a lot of different audiences and different audience mentalities that really takes the honing of the craft. And the other thing is sometimes open mics now have devolved into roasts where I'm like, look, I get it. You're only doing this set and you're working these jokes in front of people who aren't really paying attention because there's comics that are coming up on stage after you. They're worrying about their own set and everything. But, like, don't, don't piss away that time that you have on the mic and in front of people to at least rehearse it. And then, like, it almost feels like they're throwing it away because they're like, well, this is going to be fun. I'll talk to my friends out in the audience and I'll roast them. And I'm like, oh, that's such a waste of time for an open mic. No, I... I actually have fallen into that trap many times. I was just talking to someone about the other day about how you get to a mic and then there's five guys that are there. No one else, especially right now with the pandemic, it's like no one is there other than you and like three or four of your friends. And it's like, well, do I go up and do I do my set where mm -hmm. I know they're not going to laugh? Do I try new jokes? They're not going to pay attention to me or do I just try to have fun and, and stay loose that I end up, doing the safe route and just trying to stay loose a lot of times and just have fun with my friends. But every time I do that, I always try to at least throw in like two or three jokes that I have written down that I'm like, well, let me at least try these. So, you know, I think that there, I think you're right. It, it is. If, if I'm driving an hour to do an open mic for five minutes, Ooh, and there's three of us, yeah. like I better, I better yeah. use that time wisely. <laughs> so, well, and then I think, something to think about. And if there's a couple guys there that you end up striking a friendship with, or maybe they, you already know run your time because there's nothing better than testing yourself, um, putting yourself up. And this is just my opinion. I mean, this is my two cents opinion, take it or leave it to anybody listening is test yourself to see how long that set actually is. Like you can really find out how long that is when you're trying to talk slow, so make sure everybody hears it and there's no laughs, it's good to know. It's good to know what a five minute set actually is where a lot of times we write things and we're like, well, this is, this is only three minutes, but there's going to be two minutes worth of laughter or I'm going to have to hold here for that. Like, it's good to know what the expectations are of what a real five minute set is of what a real four minute set is of what a real 10 minute set is. And also, if you can have good comedy conversations with the people afterwards, you might find doors that open up to your jokes and premises that you can then really focus on afterwards to have a chat session about what tags they think might work or directions mm -hmm. that it could evolve the joke. I mean, again, a lot of times comedians talking to comedians take everything with a grain of salt because the writer, director, producer, like don't kowtow, because, I mean, you could get uh, Chappelle could come up to you after a show and he's like, hey, man, like, don't like don't do this or whatever. There's something like like a Dusty Slate comment where if you were like, I hear it, 
but I'm going to work at it because I think it is the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Like there's being stubborn and not listening to notes, especially if you get the same note over and over and over again. But there's also credibility in trusting yourself and who you are as the entity that is the only person up there who is again, entertaining this audience. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad. Uh, I mean, you, you know, cause I do that on stage, so I need to make sure that I use my time wisely. I'm glad you, uh, you threw that out there because you're right. I'm and still, I'm, I'm still doing it this last week. And even though I, I had a good time and I was glad it was a, a live show and it was sold out, I was doing some more new stuff and there were times where the audience uh, for different conditions of like the lighting wasn't great. Cause I went up last and it was really dark. So they couldn't see my face at all. And so I kind of got it in my head of when they didn't laugh as much as I wanted them to, or how I thought they should during the set, I knew I had to keep on going. And then my wife afterwards, she was like, we couldn't see you. Like, so if you were accentuating a joke with a facial expression or something like, we didn't see it. And so she thought that that was part of it. But as hard as it was to see, you know, your babies die when you're trying new jokes that you feel good about and you feel excited about, it's easy to go, well, none of that works. I'm just, I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm like, that was one show. Um, next show, I'll try it in the same place. And if it gets the same reaction, then I have to examine the joke and I have to examine the placement of it where it is in my narrative that I've built. That is this, I think I did 55 minutes of, of a show. I'm like, maybe it's not in the best place or maybe it needs to be worked on. So I'll listen to the recording and I'll be like, did I talk too fast? Did I eat some words that people just couldn't even hear what I was saying? Like there's so many variables that that is, I think the comedians who end up with longevity or end up, doing well in front of multiple audiences, different kind of audiences are the ones who put in the work beyond writing and performing the night of. Yeah. Uh, do you still, um, being in it for so long, do you still record your sets like that and then listen back to them to see what you, where you could have changed, what wording you used, if you threw out a new word or something, do you, do you ever do that? Yeah. I, I always, I always record the audio. Um, I know people love having clips and like, oh, but if it's the best set ever, like if there's a five minute chunk that is really amazing, I got to have that descended into like late night of, of some sort. And yeah, that's cool. But like most shows that you do, like you can get your tape somewhere else once you've worked on your stuff more, there'll be other opportunities. But for me, it always has been audio recording because unless you're fine tuning and you've got the bit where it needs to go, and then you're adding the seasoning of specific movements to go along to like really punctuate a bit, it's all just, I think in the listening, because then if like you listen back and you read what you've written out, you can then go, huh? The, I don't think this is always true. I don't think it's always about laughs per minute. But I think at different parts of your set, it is like at the beginning, I think you should be getting as many quick laughs as you can to really get the audience on your side and listening to what you're saying. But 
I think if you look at a bit and it's not getting laughs and it like gets one laugh at the end, this is something I've said before. And this is another Seinfeld thing is word economy where you'll take a listen back to the bit and go, Ooh, I want to get to that laugh or these laughs here quicker. If I'm looking at my joke that I've written in my notebook or I've typed up, is there any words that I can strike from this joke to get to those quicker without the joke losing the integrity that it needs. Is, is there any, ex, you know, uh, I'm going to say, I was going to use, try to use a bigger word, but now I can't think of what it is. Are there any extra words that just don't belong that don't play into the word play or like, like I like doing a lot of alliteration. So there's some rhythm to certain jokes. Um, so as long as the integrity and the meaning of the joke that gets you to the punch is still there, I love just taking a red pen and just striking through extra words to condense mm. the joke. And I think that plays a lot with doing a five-minute set. There are some comics who go up for a five-minute set and it's one story. And the one story only has one laugh and it's at the end. And I'm like that's okay to work a couple times in a five minute set, but like, Ooh, you just spent five minutes to get one laugh. And like, I can imagine a lot of people in audience checking out and like, did not even giving you the laugh you want. Like put that in a 15 minute set somewhere where you can do it in the middle or it's your closer, but like, or pepper in more laughs throughout. But yeah, yeah I think because that's how I mean, I tell a lot of stories. That's kind of the, my whole style is just storytelling. And um, the way that I usually do it is by doing like a five minute chunk. That's a story. But I want a laugh in 30 seconds. I would like a laugh, you know, and I don't I don't mean that I actually like time it. And I'm like, oh, I was 27 seconds, you know, I, your, I'm good. But you're cognizant like, to a degree of listening to it and like, yeah, being self-aware as a performer. Again, I think just already highlights that your prime objective is to entertain that audience, like mm-hmm. not just to be a long winded gas bag up there. Just like talk, like being in a rocking chair and being like one time. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, well, because if it's not good, it's not good. And, right. you know, the way I look at it is every opportunity that I have to get in front of an audience is another opportunity that somebody else is going to want me to be in front of another audience. So mm-hmm. if I ever fail that audience, which I know we all bomb at times, but I feel like if I personally fail that audience, well, that could have costed me my next audience. So now I won't, maybe I, I lost something where I could possibly be in front of them again, you know, later down the road or the club would have me back or the bar would have me back or whatever. So I try to look at it. That's I mean, a great every, way to think. That's a very smart and especially, you know, myself still, I'm a self booker. Like, so the business of your comedy is you. And so thinking about like not knowing who's in the audience that this is a, could be possibly an audition for a next thing, or it's always just an audition to be invited back to the room you're currently in. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I just contacted, do you ever go to the caravan in, in Louisville, the comedy caravan? I only did their festival um, last year. I'm not sure I've I've talked to a few people, but because it is in Louisville and I've I've headlined a lot of things around it, 
I don't know if that's kind of what keeps me out of it or I'm too mm. much of a local, like I'm an hour and a half away. So maybe it's like, yeah, but you're here and you do a he- lot of headlining kind of in the parameter. Like I'm doing um, LaGrange that drive, one of the drive-in shows is close to Louisville and it holds 400 cars. So I was thinking about shooting an email over to my contact at the comedy caravan, but I'm like, Oh, cause they're now open and doing shows. And I was like, there's probably no way if they looked up that I'm going to be doing a show. Like they wouldn't want to book me within the next couple months where I'm doing a show that holds 400 cars, which it's not going to get that, but I'm going to really be shooting my load of like, a radius of people that could be excited about coming to a show at the caravan, but no, I like, sorry, long story short. I like that room. I've done it once, but yeah. Well, I did their open mic once last year. And then I just recently talked with them because I'm trying to get more feature work right now. That's even, I know it's a horrible time to do it, but at the same time, I feel like, well, other people are probably feeling like, well, I shouldn't message people right now because of the pandemic. And I'm like, Hey, let me stay on your radar. I don't know. So I just talked to them um, the other day, and I'm going down there on the 30th to do their open mic, but basically to audition nice. to feature, like to show them, like, hey, I can come down here and, and you know, hopefully, because I'm not that far, I'm just a couple hours away. So it's like, well, you know, hopefully, if you guys like it, I can come back and feature, you know, a whole weekend. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at now, is trying to build up to that. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it literally is an audition. I, I mm-hmm. messaged him and said, I'll, you know, I'd like to come down on the 30th and show you what I can do and hopefully we can talk about it. So, and there's uh, nothing wrong with that either. Of like you said, you know, like maybe not now's not the right time to be blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's always the right time. And there are so many comedians that have that, uh, you should wait until you're asked mentality mm-hmm. and no, you will be waiting forever the opportunities that will happen are the ones that you make and the ones that you push yourself towards so like any comedian my number one suggestion always is and this is hard now because of the pandemic but breweries and wineries are now the modern day coffee houses they more often or not are willing to throw some money and you should always get paid in some way in some way for your time because you are providing a service you are working whether that be drinks or if you're traveling a great distance enough to cover your gas or the opportunity like you're doing, like to audition, to get a job, mm-hmm. um, you're driving basically for an interview uh, is to get two people, two other comics that can do at least like 20 minutes, decent 20 minutes, get those two other people and start booking breweries and wineries saying we can offer an hour and a half PG to PG 13 comedy show. We need, if it's close enough, we need as little as 200 to $300 as well as a drink tab, which will pay for your gas and you can split some money between the three of you. And then what you do is you rotate the lineup between MC feature and headliner. So every show that you do, it kind of rotates around like a round Robin where one weekend you're doing the 15 minute, MC gig and working the show, which is a great muscle to stretch the next weekend. You're doing the 25 to 30 minute feature set, which is a great muscle to stretch. And then you're working on material. Each one of these shows in these different slots, you're then going to be doing the headliner set, which could be between 35 and 40 minutes, depending on 
what extra time you throw out to the person who's featuring and person person who's emceeing. And what you do is you get yourself in front of audiences that are excited and hungry to see a show, the best possible audiences, and they're one of the most diverse audiences that people who go to these wineries and uh, breweries. And so, yeah, if once pandemic clears up, that's that's my biggest recommendation to any young comic. Yeah, that's awesome. That's and it's funny. That's actually what me and about three other guys were doing right when this started was contacting local bars here and stuff and saying, "Hey, we can provide you know an hour, hour and a half of comedy. Here's you know what we can do." And we were starting to kind of get some stuff set up, but then everything happened. So and never uh, outsell your self worth and know that the comics that you're going to have do shows with you, you're going to be able to put on a good comedy show mm-hmm. bars and breweries and wineries. Some of them they're like, well, we have music and we pay them 500 bucks, but they play for four hours and you go, no comedy. And you, and it's not like being rude. It's just, you're being very confident in knowing what your show is good at doing and what comedy is good at doing. If there's comedians that are like, yeah, we'll do a four hour show. It's going to be bad. Yeah. No, 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 no. Make the place <laughs> charge a ticket charge something five bucks, 10 bucks. Cause there's also nothing worse than a place that says it's a free comedy night because then people won't want to come because they think the entertainment's going to be worth free. Mm. Um, and make the place give you some sort of flat guarantee because that makes them have skin in the game to self to, to promote within the community because you probably won't live down the street. You can't do everything. So make them prideful and act like that they are confident and that they're having a comedy show and come out. We book these guys and you know, here's posters or blurbs or whatever on social media, just all those little, little pieces set you up for way more success and yeah, get paid in some way. Okay, perfect. Thanks. I, that's excellent advice. I definitely appreciate that as a, a new comic. Um, what do you feel like is like, um, your most memorable set like what's a set that you feel like you've done that that's the one that so far is going down in history that you'll you'll think of on your deathbed (laughs) um it's not pessimistic of me to say there's not really anything that comes to mind i mean there's as always the sweet isn't as sweet without the bitter so when the sweet happens it's great because you've had these shows that aren't as great, but also because you're the hardest critic on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like again, this past weekend show, I was down on myself quite a bit. And like, I also don't want my wife to feel like that she has to be my cheerleader and to like talk me up, but different things that she pointed out, it did make me feel a little bit better. Um, best show. I mean, I really, really enjoyed the first recording of the night we did dry bar because it's the best possible circumstances. You're getting treated like a King, like you are a professional comedian. It's sold out show. There's producers. you you do makeup, you record promos earlier in the day. They put you in the hotel within walking distance to the, to the place you're recording your 30 minute special. And then after the first one and the shows are sold out, there's five cameras on you getting every best possible angle. It's just awesome. Um, I have many goals too. So like I'm always achieving many goals, like booking shows 
is a mini goal to me. Like being able to perform and get paid for it is awesome. But yeah, dry bar that first show was pretty cool. Yeah, I bet <laughs> that's for, I, I feel like for any of us right now that are doing clean comedy, we, we look at that and we're like, man, I can't wait. You know, that's, that's in the future. I don't know how long, but eventually, you know, it's in the future. And, and that's, you know, what I think a lot of us are probably working towards. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Congrats on that. That's, Thank that's you. great. And it's, it, it looks great. It sounds great. It's hilarious. So anybody listening to this needs to finish listening to this and then, go watch that if you haven't seen it it's yet such, it's so weird because like whenever i tell anybody about it i'm like it's it's on the dry bar comedy app that you can download for free and watch for free and there's like over a thousand specials of some really comedian it's not just a bunch of comedians you've never heard of there's comedians you have heard of mm-hmm. um and it's all free and people are like yeah but what's the catch and i'm like there's no catch there's no commercials you're not secretly signed up to something else. Like it's a free app. So especially if you do pub, uh, I guess there's maybe not a ton of this right now, public transportation, or like you have downtime where you have your phone a lot. Um, and you like comedy, even if you just want to listen to it and not watch it, the dry bar comedy app is such a fun resource to have. It's, I mean, it's, it, it, there are, I was amazed by how many, and it's the guys who started that are the ones who had vid angel, right. That was trying to do like a clean mm-hmm. alternative to Netflix. And then one, it loved comedy and was like, well, I'm going to have my own comedy thing now. So that way mm-hmm. I can watch clean comedy. So, and it's great. Yeah. I mean, and that's yeah, I their, I think that's what they've pivoted in. I mean, again, now things are shut down for right now, but that's what they've pivoted to is that that's their primary focus is dry bar. It should be because it's, yeah. it's doing great. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great. I know. Uh, yeah. Yours. I think yours was actually one of the first ones. Cause it was about the time that I was uh, back at the beginning of the year, whenever we were first going to meet, I wanted to know a little bit about you. So that's whenever I actually got the app was to specifically to check yours out. So um, yeah, and I think wow. mine dropped like the week after or the week before the week after the Gutty show or the week of. Yeah, it was it was all around the same time. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, since we're talking about the sweet, what about the, the bitter? What do you feel like? Uh, what's a bomb story that kind of sticks out to you? Um, I, I don't have a terrible bomb story. Probably an uncomfortable bomb story is as I've already mentioned, go bananas comedy club. It's a great home to some comedians. When I started off, I started off at the Newport on the levee, funny bone comedy club. You know, it's the comedy club in the mini mall. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the house MC for years, got to work with anyone and everyone that I wanted to, who came through. I got to really um, stretch my legs of the different kind of comedians I worked with. And so hipper, the hipper non corporate, which at that time had the cooler, younger comics was go bananas, which is in Montgomery, which they call Cincinnati, but it's out outskirts. Um, and the kind of the thing that was going on then was, well, you were either a funny bone comic or you're a go bananas comic, which the delineation too was you're working for the man or you're more of an alt comic who really is doing what pure comedy and stand up is. So 
I lived in Chicago for seven years. And when I came back and started doing more standup again, the funny bone club has had closed. There had been another one that opened up a little farther away. And so I started going to go bananas and I was like, well, I'll make this my home. Like the people who were here before who had that kind of methodology of what standup is, they're gone. And so at first, like I did feel comfortable. There were some people that I met that I really liked that I still like, but the more I did it, the same sense of entitlement and clicks of what standup is of like, Oh, well, just because you can work at a funny bone and that kind of a comedy club, you could be a hack and do that. That's not necessarily funny. We decide what's funny here. Mm. And they had this kind of like, this it works for them but it's also it's not for me this ideology of like we're the comedy seller in new york and i'm like no you're a cincinnati comedy club that's not even technically in cincinnati you do have some great comics that come through and you're a really cool room but i found myself going up there being a working comedian on the weekends and getting headliner shows and headlining and being unable to figure out how to even MC at this club. And so I would go in and do five minute sets and I would feel such a weird pressure from the kind of cool kids in the back that it got to a point where I was like, I always feel awful about myself when I go here and do a set. I was like, just because this is a comedy club, I don't have to come here. And that was good for me. And it's a positive thing for me to kind of move past that and recognize that. That that also goes for people who start at a home club and feel like they're never advancing, even though they are in their craft. There's a saying that club owners are bookers never see you beyond the first time they saw you. They'll always think of you as that same way. And mm. so I think it is smart and it is good for comics to fly the coop of their home club to make themselves better, which the place was never my home, but like I had multiple times and there were only five minute sets where I questioned myself and I'm like, Oh, I must be awful. I must not be funny at all. There's nothing I do that's valid in the world of comedy because this place externally made me feel that way. No, that makes sense. Where, so after you did that, then where did you kind of do, is that whenever you started calling around just trying to get yourself? I was already, I was already doing that and I felt, I mean, you know, maybe it's paranoia in your own head because you are alone doing it. I was already doing that and I was already getting headlining and yet I was made to feel bad when I started asking people at the club and like the GM who was notoriously bonkers, like, okay, so how do I get in here? What are the, what are the steps? Cause I've done some good sets here. And then I got told that you don't ask that you wait to be asked. And I'm like, okay, but like, I'm, I'm going, I've done stand up in like 35 States. I, I think I could work here. (laughs) So I just, yeah. After I made the decision of like, I'm not going to let myself feel bad here anymore. I just 
worked at some occasional open mics of people that I liked. And also when you're regularly headlining or featuring doing sets, you have the, you have, you know, 45 to 50 minutes to start working new stuff in the middle of sets or, you know, even a 25 minute feature set or like, so I was working at the funny bone too, as a feature at the Libertyville one, the new one that opened up. Um, so yeah, I found other outlets to work where I didn't, didn't need to be at go bananas every Wednesday night for their open mic to like suckle at the teat to get five minutes on stage and then have it be appreciated by nobody. How how long were you doing comedy before you started like featuring and, and headlining and stuff? Uh, I started stand up in 2005 and I emceed regularly at the funny bone here in Kentucky for about three years and then I started featuring off and on when headliners didn't bring their own. Um, my first feature weekend was because uh, I love Saturday Night Live. So anybody that came through who had touched Saturday Night Live in some way, I uh, I asked to, to open for them. So I was going to be emceeing for Jim Brewer. And it was the Thursday night, the first show. And the whole weekend was already sold out. So like that's a great weekend to walk into. It's like, oh, this is going to be a good time. Um, Thursday, the one show, it's at 7.30. The show's starting. The sound guy is standing next to me. I'm standing next to the curtain in the dark. And he's like, we got to start the show. He's like, so I'll try to light you or something if they're not here to go on longer. And he's like, but he's like, so we're going to have to figure it out while you're up there. And I was like, all right. The announcement's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the funny moon. Who's here to have a good night? Uh, and while that's going on, the lights are dancing and the sounds on. And it's dark in the room. Jim Brewer slides up next to me and he's like, hey, man. He's like, uh, we're not going to have a feature act this weekend. It's just going to be me and you. So go do 30 minutes and just bring me up. Okay, bye. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. Um so it was it was pretty surreal. Um, they ended up getting an MC for the rest of the weekend, but that then I was the the feature for him, and you know it couldn't have been any more of a softball to for a sold out weekend of people who just love Jim Brewer and are just there to have a good time. Um, so I think that was two thousand and eight, and then off and on I would feature when headliners wouldn't bring their feature. Um, and then I didn't see, and then I moved to Chicago from 2010 to 2017 and I did some stand up there at open mics. I did a couple clubs up there and then I started taking a step away cause I was doing improv and sketch. And then I started writing and directing storefront theater shows, some plays. And so I took even more of a step back but when my wife and I moved back to Northern Kentucky in 2017, I started doing some open mics with some people that I used to do shows with being like, Ooh, okay. Is, is stand up something I still want to do regular? Like, is it something I want to get back into? And it clicked like, it's kind of like of a bicycle. Like I already felt good doing it. And I felt like I had even more of a voice now with the maturity and the life that I had lived than I did 
did when I was off and on doing it in Chicago or even before I had moved living in Kentucky. So if you started, so you started in 2005, what'd you do before comedy? Like what was, uh, what was your day job? I, well, I was in college. Uh, my okay. freshman year of college was 2004 to 2005. And I ended up switching to a theater major and I knew I wanted to try to put myself in the best possible position to um, have the opportunity to audition or submit a writing packet for Saturday night live. And so the track that I knew from my love of it and history and studying of it was you do improv, you do sketch, you do theater, you, you write, you start writing because that helps you. And then you move to Chicago and you do improv Olympics and second city. So my second year at college, all I wanted to do was get on the college improv team and I auditioned and I didn't make it. So then I saw that they're offering a stand-up class taught by Jeff Jenna, who ended up being my mentor and helped me a lot with the dry bar special all these years later. Um, he has a dry bar special. That's fantastic too. Um, he would taught the class and the best thing in the class was he started it by saying, if you came to this class thinking that I can make you funny, you should not come back to the next class. He's like, but if you're going to come to this class, knowing that I'm going to put you on stage and make you talk and write every week for five minutes, like for five minutes, he's like, I can give you structure and how I think it, you can be better and more natural with what you think is funny and what you can present as funny. And so he was fantastic with that. Um, that was such a great tool. And then that's how I started doing stand-up during college. And then next year I got on the improv team. So I was doing theater, doing improv, doing stand-up, getting paid, like getting paid to do stand-up was nuts. And then kind of during all that, I was also serving as a waiter at the funny bone. So that had me there watching so many different comedians and then also being there for like, if I think Mike Birbiglia has a similar story to this when he worked at the improv in Washington, whenever an MC didn't show up or they needed someone to fill time, if I was there working, they'd be like, Ricky, can you hand your tables over to someone and do 10 minutes, do 15 minutes, do five minutes. And I'd be like, yep. And I'd go up on stage and impromptu, like I'd first sit in the back real quick and on the back of a, a check, uh, one of the notepads mm -hmm. for the waiters, I'd write out a quick, you know, set list and I'd go up and perform. So it was, it was a dream. That was my job all through college. That's awesome. And that, I mean, just having, I feel like the thing that I, I get the most from comedians whenever I talk to them is that is that mentor, you know, having that person that has, has done it, has been through it. And then them say, you know, I believe in you. Or even if they don't say that, even if you're just like, no, you're, I'm talking to you, you know, to help me out. Uh, I think that's awesome that so many people are willing to, to still do that because a lot of times, you know, being new, uh, sometimes whenever I'm at mics and you, t you talk to guys who have been doing it for, I feel like there's like a, there's the new guys Mm -hmm. and there's guys who've been doing it for like, you know, six to 10 years. Um, and then there's the guys who've been doing it for a long time. And the guys who've been doing it for a long time usually aren't even at those mics right. anyways. But, you know, you the guys who've been in it the longest, I feel like, are always the ones that are most willing to help. Mm -hmm. It's the ones that are, are you know, the, the one to – three years or, or whatever. It's like you got the, the ones that are just getting started and we all kind of hang out a little bit together and, and try to help each other out. 
you know, in the one to three years, and then you got the three to seven years, and they're just like, mm, just don't even talk to me. You know, just well because they're it's not all of them. They're but. being cutthroat, and they think that their ideas are prescient, and they're like, well, I don't want to say something that you might steal. Like those are the ones that are usually like really worried of like thought um, piggybacking or what's that called that um, they ended up calling it what Dane Cook was doing the Louis CK. Um, oh, it's called stealing. <laughs> but it's called something thinking where the person has heard it and then they don't remember that they, they come up with an idea that they mm. think is an original idea. And they, they don't, they say they don't honestly remember where that idea came from. It's something thinking there's a whole video. Louis CK had Dane cook on an episode of Louis where they talked about it. Um, but yeah, I think, I've heard enough from like Steve Byrne and other comics about Dane that he look, I didn't love him as a comic. And then I saw Dane live and I'm like, I have to respect him. He did an hour and a half show where he was a sonic boom of energy and was amazing. But like, as far as his stealing or like Carlos Mencia, those guys are sociopaths to some degree to think that they didn't lift those ideas or sure. just work. Yeah. yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. Carlos I mean, that's has that Cosby bit. It's so funny. I mentioned Louis CK Cosby, all these fallen idols, um, <laughs> but no one, it's not a real podcast. We're not recording. So it doesn't matter. You're just talking <laughs> to me. Oh, I mean, I don't feel, yeah, I wouldn't be judged <laughs> for mentioning them, but it's just, it's crazy to them in the pantheons of like big comedy. And now it's like, Oh, but um, but like there's a Carlos Mencia bit that's almost word for word on the Cosby special himself, and Carlos is like, "I've never heard of that. I've never seen that." It's like, no way. There's zero way. But yeah. that's a whole other bag of worms. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if it wasn't, so your dream is Saturday Night Live. Then it sounds it like it was. I've had the opportunity to audition twice. Um, I've had the opportunity to submit writing packets. Um, I had the, the warmth of being asked by them to do it. And the second time I, the first time I didn't hear anything back and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like the amount of submissions that they have, even people they ask, mm -hmm. like I'm sure half of them don't even get read or watched. But the second time, um, because I do self-represent and my wife still has her maiden name, I put her down as my representative and so they called her phone and it was an un, you know, it was just a New York number. We obviously didn't know who it was. And my wife's like, she was pregnant at the time. And she's like, Oh, like it's late. I'm not answering that. I'm like, it's a New York number. It could be Saturday night live. And she's like, it, it's not SNL. <laughs> and then she answered it and she's like, hello. And she's like, Oh yes, this is a uh, Miss Delionitis representative of Ricky Glore. And it was the producer from Saturday night live who had asked for the audition and it was just a polite call being like, we really thank you for submitting. We thought it was great. Um, we're just going to go in a different direction. So I also was really fortunate when I lived in Chicago to see a lot of the people get SNL, to see a lot of the SNL people like Lauren Michaels be around. And like, I got to see in person some auditions and either I'm not good enough or, you know, luck's not on my side or whatever it is. 
if SNL offered me a job in some way tomorrow, I would probably take it. I'd have to look now that I have a daughter, a one-year-old, and a wife. That would be a lot of changes besides just being a single person's change or just a husband and wife change. Um, but like I said, I have many goals. And so like many goals that I accomplish, I'm happy with the way things are going now with the little accomplishments that I'm making that to not get SNL, I tried like, I'm not disappointed that I tried. Well, I mean, you're like ahead of the game even there because how many comedians are like, Oh man, that's the dream. And you're just like, well, you know, yeah. And it's still, it sounds like it's still definitely in the realm of possibility that in the future it might still happen. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be great. I I mean, that'd be awesome. I've, do you remember uh, last year there was the show Bring the Funny that was on NBC? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I auditioned. I got pretty far in that. Uh, Erica Rhodes at the same time, and then she ended up getting it. I was heading to a wedding when I had to first do a. It was a Skype audition where I performed, and then had to do a question and answer with some producers, and. I was told the night before we were flying to Florida for the wedding. And then the next day they wanted me to do this thing over Skype. So I had to take my laptop that I had to be clean shaven because NBC likes clean boys. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say. Um, Oh no. But So I had done the thing. I had done that too. When I auditioned for SNL the first two times, because I know like, you can't wear wigs and mustaches where boy hair. Like I would always look like this. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm, I'm not against not having a beard, but especially for bring the funny, it was weird because they wanted me as a standup and I'm like, part of my look is how I look like that. That's me. And like, it's not going to look, it's going to look like the stuff you saw for wanting me to be on the show was me with a beard. So like, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I did it. And I got to the point where uh, Erica got the step closer, which is when I knew I didn't get the step closer, was they asked her to start going through her Twitter and delete any tweets that had certain words. Mm. Because they knew they were taking her to the next level. Gotcha. Yeah. And you're like, I shaved for this? (laughs) <laughs> well and then I, so the only reason i mentioned the wedding is then i was at the wedding and people are like why are you clean fit like oh and i'm like oh it's for this thing i'm probably not even gonna get <laughs> oh that see that would be rough uh, snl has always been the like comedy fuel in my life i mean even the bad years you know i've always loved snl uh, I've gr- I grew up with it every Saturday we Saturday night we'd always go to my uncle's house and we'd sit around and watch it I mean from the time that I was born you know we've always done that I, there's no way I'd, I'd never do it I I wouldn't be able to because like you're I'd have to cut all my hair off I'd have to shave my face and it's not good looking under this there's a reason <laughs> this is a protective layer yeah that's <laughs> I I do this on purpose it's you know, I, I I have a stupid chin. I don't like the chin. <laughs> <laughs> my my head shaped weird. I couldn't do it. Um, well, I think that's that's most of the questions that I kind of want to go over. I know we've been going for about an hour and a half now. So, uh, man, I really appreciate it. The last question I really have for you: the show's called Laugh and Be Blessed. 
I've talked about it before. I've talked about what blessings really are to me. It's not really a religious thing for me. It's not really a spiritual thing for me. Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, what to you, like, what does blessing mean? Like, what's it mean to be blessed to you? Um, family, 100%. I'm, I love family time, whether it's with my extended family, with my in-laws, with my parents, with my brothers, uh, my oldest brother, his wife, and their son, my nephew, with our daughter now, just like seeing family grow and just people get so much. I mean, I know there are bad family d- dynamics and like my brother being a psychiatrist, which I mentioned earlier, I, I think I might have, um, is sometimes a family hurts you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't cut them out. Like if someone repeatedly hurts you, you should get rid of them. But like our family dynamic is good and I can just, I feel energy off of my family. I know they feel energy. My parents, you know, it makes them younger being with my one-year-old daughter. You know, they watched our daughter, Anna, this Saturday when we went to Pittsburgh. My wife and I gave us a little weekend trip. And, like, there was a part of me that was worried. It's like, oh, I know she's a handful. Like, she's very energetic. And they're, they're getting up there in age. I also understand mortality. But when we got home and then we talked to them, they were just like, we feel rejuvenated. Like you would think I was like, Oh, are you guys tired? And they're like, no, we're rejuvenated. Like it's so delightful to be with her and her energy. And so I just feel that with family times all the time. Um, It's my, I said how much my dad loves Burt Reynolds for the last three. This is the third year for the last two years for his birthday. He loves movies and I love movies. And so we do for his birthday weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Two years ago, he did his top 10 favorite movies. And we watched all 10 of them in one weekend. We're calling it the Rick Lore Film Festival. So that was the first annual. Mm. Last year was his top 10 favorite horror movies. So that was the second annual Rick Lore Film Festival. And so the first year I had a movie poster made that incorporated pieces from all of the movies he liked and him last year, this original artwork with pieces of all the horror movies and him this year is the third annual Rick Lore film festival. And the theme is his top 10 favorite Burt Reynolds movies. So we've got t-shirts of all these different pieces of Burt's from like Burt Reynolds movies and him, right. My dad, right in the middle and the list of the movies on the back and like my whole, my wife, my mom, my two brothers, my nephew, my sister-in-law, we're all in for it. They, not everyone might not watch all the movies, but like we're going to be over at my parents' house from Friday to Sunday night, just like enjoying each other. And like, I don't need a European vacation or the Caribbean. Like that's what I love. And the other thing, what makes me feel blessed. It's what I've mentioned twice are many goals. It's good to have big goals, but I think I like to look at it like levels of a building or even steps. Like each step shouldn't be a hurdle that you're jumping to get closer to that big goal or to get to that big goal. That step should have writing on it. That is also a small achievement. So as tired, tired as you're getting or as many setbacks as you, that can happen or how long it seems a way to get to that main goal, each step you take 
is never a failure because you're, you've learned something from each step that you take that gets you closer to what that big goal is. And so I know in my life, having those, having a family, providing for that family, entertaining audiences, like even though I didn't love the show from this past Saturday, I did have people come up to me saying, oh my God, we haven't been out of the house and blah, blah, blah. And like, this meant so much to us. You were hilarious. That fills up my cup. Like no matter what like pity part of like I was having for myself after the show, I still acknowledged and remembered that the prime objective of entertaining somebody, it did happen. It wasn't a complete wash where I was holding 40 people hostage, you know, outside. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually great. And that goes right in line with what this show is about is, is, I try to be inspirational as much as possible and, and uplifting, and that's great to say, you know, have these small mini goals that you can work work your way up to and don't just focus on what's, you know, on the plateau. Focus on each level and, you know, and if, if you reach a level and you feel like, you know, maybe I didn't master that level, it's okay to redo that level. It's, it's It doesn't mean you have to continue to move on. It's all right to stay where you're at for a little bit, figure it out as long as you know that you are moving up continuously. So Yeah, even I if you want to think of it like a video game where you're conquering your own personal bosses, like you get better playing the game by playing the game. So by doing the thing, like even if you're quote unquote failing in someone else's eyes or your own personal eyes, the best thing you can always do is to reflect on, okay, I failed. I didn't achieve, even if you want to get rid of the word fail, I didn't achieve the thing that I thought I was supposed to at, at the onset of this. What did I learn? And what can I then use from that to help me do better the next time or do better on this next thing or this other, like, I like wearing a bunch of hats and doing a bunch of different creative things. So there are things <clears throat> that I've learned with improv that helps me with stand up. There are things with stand up that has helped me with, I directed an opening scene of a horror movie that we we're trying to use to get the budget to make the full thing. Of course that was at before pandemic hit. So we're still even working on editing that and who knows when filming can happen. But like there are so many things from different areas that make you the person who you are and just, yeah, always reflect on if you're doing your best and you're trying your hardest, nothing's a failure. There's no, there's no such thing as failing. Well, thanks man. Uh, I appreciate it very much before we end this. Um, where can people find you? Tell me about what you have coming up. Tell me about what's going on. Let's get people excited about Ricky, not Rick Glor, not the stepdad, the real dad. Yeah, I can be found on Twitter at Ricky Glore. That's R-I-C-K-Y-G-L-O-R-E. I usually post stuff about upcoming shows. I try to do my part for the venues and stuff and circulate it. Um, you can follow me on Facebook at Ricky Glore Comedy. Uh, Instagram, a lot of pictures of my kid, if you want to see that, at Glore Ricky on Instagram. Um, I did just start a TikTok um, to work on impressions primarily. Um, I felt that I, I, I dipped my toe into TikTok for a half second to see what, if it could be of any use for me. And that is what I found is a useful tool. A guy I had written with named Lucas Arnold, who does a fantastic John Mulaney impression. Oh my gosh. I was actually getting ready to mention that. Cause I list, I watched one of the uh, videos you'd posted. Yeah. 
And uh, I was actually getting ready. I didn't know if it was you or someone else that was doing the Mulaney. No. So, and so the puppet, John Complainy, um, on the show yeah, that I got did you. for a while called Weekend Pup Date, which check that out on YouTube. Um, he, no, Lucas Arnold, he's a New York comic who's a fantastic writer and stand up in his own right. But if, if you get a chance to listen to his John Mulaney, so we, we co-wrote those pieces that he did for Weekend Pup Date as John Complainy. And nothing was more delightful than to write in the style of John Mulaney and then hear it come out in that voice. Mm-hmm. And also he wrote really well in John Mulaney's voice. Yeah. So he does TikTok. He, he's a sensation on TikTok. Um, so that's, and he does impressions. And I was like, Oh, okay. I think this is how I can use this as a tool for like Twitter. It, social media is very hard for me because to have the ego to think that people want to see pictures of me on Instagram or hear my thoughts daily on Twitter, it's hard to have that ego. I mean, we do have ego because we are standups, but Twitter, I found, is great to use for that word economy, for mm-hmm. 140 words, or you know, to write one-liners, or t- to be a goal to give yourself to be like, okay, I need to write X amount of jokes per day to put them out there to just like you having being a public, like a live public journal. And you feel like you're being held accountable because if I don't write three jokes today, it's going to look like that to the people who follow or whatever. Um, other place to get anything of mine or up to date besides those avenues is please listen. If you can to my album, if you have Spotify, uh, if you can get it for 10 bucks on iTunes or Amazon Music, I think, has it anywhere. It's on SiriusXM, too, if you listen to SiriusXM. Um, it just got picked up for a couple of their comedy channels. And uh, you can get the physical album, which has... I know CDs are a dead thing, but it also comes with a digital download link. Um, so you can have it on all your devices. I love having that physical, like, a record mm-hmm. or a CD the case and like the liner notes and the track listings and stuff. So yeah, pick that up. I mean, oh. right next to me, I've got, I've got my records right next to me in the same way. If I turn this computer around, I'm sitting in my man cave basement with horror movie posters and records. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love, yeah, I love physical media. Uh, pick that up. It's at circus trapeze.com. When you go to the website, it'll be listed there. It's only 15 bucks. And like I said, you get the digital download with the physical. Um, or if you're going to Gutty's Comedy Club in Greenwood, Indiana, October, I think, what is it, 12th or middle of October? It is, it'll be October doo, 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 16th and 17th. Perfect. So it'll be Friday and Saturday, yeah, October 16th and 17th. Yeah, so come check us out there where you can pick up. I'll have copies of the CD there. Uh, and the last thing is, it's what I would recommend, even if I didn't have one, Dry Bar Comedy app. Download it and watch mine if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Dad Bod, or just search my name, Ricky Glore. There's clips, too. If you were like, mm, I don't know about this, Ricky Glore, you can check out. Uh, they've put up three different clips from the special on YouTube. Okay, yeah. And also on their Facebook, uh, if you get on oh, their yeah, Facebook yeah. page. Yep, it's on their Facebook page as well. Yeah. Actually, your entire special is on their Facebook page. Mine is? Yep, you can find the, the whole thing. I actually looked at I think it was earlier today. I think so. I know that they have 
multiple chunks split up like five minute sets yeah they have uh rockstar nine to five i'm not sure how they day jobs rockstar day jobs or something uh stranger babies which is the opening yeah yeah um, that's the most recent one and then light uh wife hacks um if they release the whole special <clears throat> you can watch it that way that's new to me um but I feel like I might be getting. I, I believe so. I might be thinking of a uh, of Andy Beningos because I know his full. Beningos, I'm, I'm almost yeah. positive that yours was on there too. But I could be wrong. It could just be those different chunks. But those are worth checking out. So if you just want to check out, if, you know, if you don't, just get on Facebook, look up one of those, and go. Oh my gosh, this guy's super funny. I should get the app just for him. Do yeah. that. Yeah, just for that. And also, if you're a comedian who has a special. Uh, the weary at heart should not read the comments of every peanut <laughs> uh, gallery person. <laughs> I, I actually heard that uh, I am going to have Andy on the show, yeah. and he told me a funny story about his that, that we'll definitely talk about. Uh, it was the first comment, yeah. the very first comment on there for him. Man, touch uh, you like a knife. Someone you don't know, someone you never maybe will ever meet. Someone wrote, and I... I think I finally replied to them and I shouldn't have, and I didn't follow up on it, but someone wrote a bad comment of not being like, this guy's not funny at all. And then someone replied to them. It was like, yeah, I went and saw him at a show and he, his feature act was so much better that we walked out during his show, during his part. And I was like, I wasn't upset. I was genuinely inquisitive to be like, what show? Where? Who is the feature act? Yeah, who's the feature? I want to know. Yeah, and so um, I think I ended up commenting, and I haven't gone back. But yeah, like, there's probably no good reason to read comments, um, especially when, like, you go to YouTube where Drybar has over a million subscribers. I think it's a million seven hundred or so, or million seven thousand, and the likes are like 50,000 likes versus 400 thumbs down. Like that should be all you need. And you're like, well, clearly like more than not people are enjoying this. So who cares if they think your impression of whoever doesn't sound good? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I've only had like a, I've only had like a little taste of that obviously. Cause I don't have any specials or anything like yeah. that, but there's a show in Evansville that I did a few months ago and I'm actually coming back to do it uh, in like two or three weeks. But to the promoter there, he puts the like little clips, like just like mm -hmm. one, two minute clips on Reddit to let people uh, in the area know like, Hey, come, come to these shows. And uh, he let me know whenever he put it up, he's like, Hey, just so you know, it's up there. And I shouldn't even have looked at it. <laughs> Cause it's Reddit, mm -hmm. uh, and I looked at it, and it was like the the only comment really that was on there was, "Why do you keep putting these up here? None of these people are funny. This guy <laughs> is not funny at all." And then the promoter was arguing with them back and forth, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not even touching this." No. But then I found myself like looking at the other videos that he's put. I'm like, "Did someone say something bad about all of them, or is it just me?" <laughs> and it's you know, it's, it's like. Who cares? Crazy. Who cares? Because you take it personal and it's these faceless wonders. Yeah. That, yeah. It's of someone who will never, who will never do comedy. Like I know there's a lot of people in, uh, in the scene that are, you know, they don't make me laugh. 
They just don't. Yeah. And well, you're going to have that comedy subjective, but I just, I've never laughed at them. I've been watching them for a while and I've never one time laughed, but they have my respect because they're there every week trying it. They're trying new jokes. They're getting up, you know, and there's so many people who say, Oh, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. I could do, I could definitely, I could do what you do. And it's like, well, then do it. I've invited so many people to open mics that are just like, no, I could do that. And I'm like, oh, cool, man. Come with me Sunday. Yeah, I think you can too. Let's let's find out. Oh, yeah. And, and then they and they never show up. And if they <laughs> do, if they have prepared, they, usually those are the people that like remembered one joke and it's usually slightly racist or something. Yeah. Or homophobic. And they get up there and they tell it. And they're like, that was five minutes, right? And like, no, that was 30 seconds. You- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, that's awesome. thank you so much for having me, though, and I I'm really looking forward to the weekend at Gutty's. Um, the the guys there, I I did their podcast once when my al- um, album came out, and they just seem like really good guys. I I'm excited to finally do the room. Yeah, it's a good room. It's going to be fun. Um, you know, we had a great weekend this weekend, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think as of right now, that's the next time that I'm going to be there is with you. So um, whether or not something changes in September and I go, sometimes they'll just message me and ask me. I didn't even know I was featuring for Andy until like the week before, So which I just got a feature for love it. Now. Yeah, it's awesome. So I'll feature every weekend if they want to be <laughs> too. You know, I don't mind. So, uh, well, that's awesome. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Ricky Glore. We love you. Folks, go get his special. He's wonderful. He's an American treasure. I love Ricky so much. I'm so looking forward to the 16th and 17th at Gutty's Comedy Club. Come see us there. We love you guys. Thank you so much for your support. And as always, laugh and be blessed. Listen to those crickets. That's what happens whenever you edit a podcast at 4.30 in the a.m. while your wife is at work. This is what happens. I got an audience and it's crickets. Laugh and be blessed.